0: Right there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at IntersupportRent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So... If you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and to use the code SKIPODCAST or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 101 of the Ski Podcast and thanks for joining us, listener. Uh, today, we're going to be finding out about skiing in Greece and what on earth frontside skis are. My name is Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce my guest today. I'm delighted to welcome first-timer to the podcast, Gemma Bose. Hi, Gemma. How are you?
1: Hello. I'm good, thank you, Ian. Excellent. Like yeah.
0: Whereabouts are you
1: just now? Uh, I'm in London, southeast London in Dulwich. So I've I'm... been working at the Times newspaper all week this week. This is my day at home, catch up with some freelance work.
0: Okay, excellent. Well, um, thank you very much for giving us your time today. And uh, we're also joined today uh, by regular guest and our equipment expert Al Morgan from skikitinfo.com. Hi Al, how are you?
2: Hi Ian, I am great. Yeah, it's great to be here.
0: Yeah, well, it's great to have you on the show. Well, uh, let's let's start by asking our traditional question when we last on snow? Uh Gemma, what about yourself? When were you last uh, skiing?
1: Uh, well, Last on snow, technically, in the summer, I was in Chavinia hiking and I did put my foot on a tiny bit of snow, but <laughs> <That counts. laughs> uh, But the last big trip was last Easter. I went to the Hope Marion Valley in France for the whole two-week holiday with my kids, um, but we did a bit of a tour around. We were in Valsenis, which is yes. the main resort there, very good for children, lots of fun features for them. Uh, and then we also went up the valley to Bonneville-sur-Arc. I don't know if you guys know that place, but it's a yeah. very different feel, very small village. You almost feel like you're in the Himalayas. It's, you feel like you're right at the top of the mountains. Right. Beautiful place. Like On the way up there, we saw a Lama Gaia, those rare, absolutely enormous birds floating above us in the sky. So it felt quite different to your normal sort of ski trip.
0: Wonderful. Is this the valley that um, Modan is, uh, is on?
1: Uh, I'm not sure if that's on it. There's a lot of different resorts there. I think there's 12 different resorts. Uh, one of them was where I'd actually done my first ever ski trip as a kid, Val Frazus. So I went back there for the first time in almost 40 years. I don't yeah. think it's changed much. It seemed pretty undeveloped. And also next to there, there's a tiny resort called La Norma, which yeah. uh, is becoming sort of a centre of splitboarding, which I'm a snowboarder, actually, not a skier anymore now and again if I have to but yeah so I went out splitboarding there and they're going to host the first splitboarding festival in the Alps I think this year
0: Excellent. I had a quick look on the map. It is Modan, and then you continue through to uh, uh, yeah, Altini okay, and yeah. those resorts. And It's interesting to me because I'm planning in December to take the train to Madan and then uh, to go to Arel. Oh, yeah. uh, and Arel is that fourth valley of the three valleys and then to go over the top on the, on the new lift, which are, they're basically converting it at the top of the Seine de Caron so that pedestrians, peatons, can go over carrying your bags. So I'm going to ski over, stay over on the Arel side, then take all my kit up and down the other side and go into uh, into VT and the trains are meant to be a bit better to uh, madan so I'll be reporting on that at some point later on. Um Al what about yourself uh, last uh, skiing experience?
2: I think mine may be similar to yours. That Mine was at Hemel Snow Centre. I'm in south southwest London so actually you know that's really convenient. So
0: yeah. I love going And when to what, when was that?
2: That was only around 10 days ago. So not I'm, I'm I, we we almost we almost bumped into each other it's just a few days apart.
0: We did, because as you um, observe, I was in um, Emil Hempstead at the snow centre earlier this week, uh, which I'll mention uh, later. Uh, Like yourself, Gemma, I did have my feet on snow uh, when I was in Zermatt uh, about uh, three, four weeks ago. I did go up to the Klein Matterhorn, uh, Matterhorn Glacier Paradise. Unfortunately, skiing was closed to the public then, but I'm delighted to say that skiing has now opened again as of last Tuesday on the glacier there, because there's a little bit of September snow. Uh, certainly enough that they've been able to open it now that that actually does lead me on to my next section because this is our first regular episode for five weeks I've uh, been very busy in the last uh, month or so, but uh, subscribers will be very aware of that. Uh, I've published four special episodes. We had an interview with Warren Smith, a um, chap I've known, uh, a lot of people know in the industry. I've known him for 20 years, really, really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, Helen Coffey, uh, who you might know, uh, Gemma, travel editor at The Independent, about her uh, flight-free uh, stance. And also an episode about speed opening, which is the uh, Zermatt Downhill Race, which is coming up in around a month's time, where I had the opportunity uh, to interview Permin Zabrigan as well, which is very exciting to me, the uh, um, famous downhill racer uh, from, well, for me back in the 80s. Uh, and also I published episode 100. We're just going into the sixth year of the podcast at the moment. And in episode 100, I look back at the history of the podcast and some of my favorite episodes and uh, and features in there. now. Jules, a listener, did contact me and say, how can it be that that was episode 100 when you've had over 150? And I think early on, the way the kind of taxonomy of that worked was uh, we have regular episodes like this one today where we have Gemma and Al as guests and special episodes. And maybe that's a bit confusing. So I'm going to I'm going to redo them from now on. But they are all well worth a listen. You can find them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts uh, or wherever you download your podcasts. And if you have listened to episode 100, listener, you'll have heard our big news that from this episode onwards. let' trois is now our main sponsor. Uh, and I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for their support. Uh, I really enjoyed discovering Switzerland and sharing the destination. Uh, but after three years, we mutually decided it was time for change. And I'm very excited Three Valleys has come on board as our new partner. And um, uh, many listeners will already be aware of uh, the Three Valleys. It's the largest ski area in the world world class resorts like uh, Courcheval, Mirabel and Valterens. but what I'm hoping to do in the podcast is you know to go behind the scenes a little bit and bring you some of the stories you might have uh, missed and actually one I just want to kind of bring to the fore uh, today. Um, I blogged on this uh, on the skiflightfree.org website, but really interested to see some new solar panels that have gone in onto the Salir Express lift, which goes up from Mirabel to Salir, uh, and they're on the mid station. Solar panels are becoming more uh, common, being put onto lift stations, but this one is really interesting because they have panels on both sides. So. The uh, 90% of the power will be supplied solar through the sun's rays. But they also use, and I had to Google this, uh, the albedo effect, which is the reflection from the snow back onto the uh, underside, which generates uh, extra electricity as well. So listen, if you're interested in that, have a look at a ski flight free. Right. I would like to bring you into the conversation, Gemma, if I could. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is I read an article a while ago about a trip that you took to uh, Greece. And I love talking to people about different destinations and a little bit off the uh, beaten track. I wonder, firstly, where you went and and why you chose to go there.
1: Okay, well, this was uh, just before COVID. I went to a resort called Parnassus, which is two hours north of Athens. So that's Greece's biggest resort. I don't think people realise a lot of the time that Greece does have 24 ski resorts. I would think of it as a country full of beaches for relaxing in the summer, swimming. But actually, they see it largely as a country of mountains. The the mainland is very mountainous, as well as some of the islands, of course. But uh, so I think I had an invitation because I'm a travel writer. You do have lots of invitations to unusual things to do. Uh, the Greek Tourist Board were trying to promote skiing there to the British market a couple of years ago. And I'm always interested to try and find a different kind of ski trip, because I've, like you guys, have been skiing all my life. After a bit, all of your ski holidays can start to feel a bit samey, can't they? Just same slopes, same fun show. But I like occasionally doing a bit of a different ski trip. So I thought I'll see what skiing in Greece is like. One of the best things about it, part of the reason I chose it was it was for a February half-term trip. And I've got two little kids trying to teach them to ski. But going at that time of year is really, really expensive, as I'm sure anyone with kids knows. It can cost you a fortune, but Greece is a budget option. So I had a quick look, actually, just before coming on here at the flight costs. And to fly to Athens for February half term, the flights at the moment are still 110 quid. But to Geneva, the cheapest I could find was 400 on Skyscanner, yeah. same dates. And the same applies for everything there. So accommodation we stayed in a a beautiful hotel just outside where the main ski resort is not far just a little drive up the hill and i think it was even though we booked it maybe a week before the rooms they're like big villas uh with three double bedrooms i think it was 200 quid a night you imagine this kind of place it had a big swimming pool a spa we had our own house with balconies, roaring log fire. I mean, in Val somewhere, that would cost you 10 grand probably, wouldn't it? At least for every half. For
0: sure. Yeah. It sounds very nice. Could, could I actually um, ask a question there? Or not really a question, just an observation that, you know, I'm always interested in places <laughs> where you can take your family at half term for better value. And what you observe there about the flights to uh, Athens being much less than the flights to Geneva, I've seen the same thing in relation to I took the family to the French Pyrenees at half term uh, one year and yeah. the same sort of thing flying to Toulouse the same time I think at that point because we booked it relatively late it was even more than that to uh, Geneva it was like 800 pounds a flight yet you could yeah. still fly to Toulouse for uh, what you might term a you know a normal sort of price and I think looking outside the box as you have there just does make uh, you know all of this a little bit more affordable I'm not sure yeah. so many people would as you said, would have considered Greece. Twenty-four ski resorts is amazing. In um, sorry, was it Parnassos that you went to?
1: Parnassos, yeah, that's yeah. the main ones. Where and, and what? And what
0: size is Parnassos in terms of you know number of pieces
1: Well, think. I mean that's the catch. It's not massive. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the Trois Vallées, that's for sure. I think there's twenty runs, twenty-two runs, sixteen lifts. It's a bit basic. You go there for an adventure and a different sort of ski trip. I don't think you want to go for your main ski holiday of the year if you're a very keen skier, but what it gives you is a, a lot of fun. You get to do you know a good few hours of skiing in the morning. So we would get up, drive up to the resort, maybe 15 minute drive, uh, get on the slopes, do a good few runs with the kids. They're fun they're fun slopes, you know, you can speed along, there's a couple of parks, but it's not a massive ski area. But for us, we were skiing with our kids. They can only do a couple of hours a day. They had a lesson there. The lessons were brilliant. I really loved the guy. And one of the best things is that it was sunny and warm. So the conditions were like you would get at Easter, which for families is brilliant in February when the cold weather in the Alps could put a lot of people off. Okay. sorry.
0: How old are your children, Gemma?
1: I think when we went there, they were about six and three. Yeah, you like don't that. need to
0: have a huge ski area if you are doing a family ski holiday like that. I mean, you mentioned the temperature and that's lovely being warm. What was the snow like? What was the snow coverage like? It was and like the... good
1: spring snow, you know, this, it, there was still decent snow. Uh, it was soft, but that's good, again, for kids. It's not too icy. I think they do have some amazing backcountry terrain there. So I'd like to go back when there'd been a big dump because I think you could go into the backcountry from the top of the list, and that would be amazing. The views are incredible. I think you can see Mount Olympus, all this brilliant scenery. But for us, we, the skiing was a little part of it. We were really going on a bit of a cultural adventure. So at the end of the ski day, we might finish at lunch or a bit later in the afternoon, Then you drive down to this little village not far away called Arcova which in Greece is known as the cold (laughs) Mikinos. Meaning it's full
0: of premiership footballers on a a (laughs) week off.
1: It's a bit she-she. There's lots of Afro ski bars. I think basically the Athenians, I think they like to appear to be skiing, but they spend most of their time in the bars down the road. Quite glamorous.
0: Well, that's good because it means the slopes are empty, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. You just got to wait for them to do their two runs and go away. Uh, But then... The good thing is you can go to all these amazing restaurants, you can be having calamari for your ski meal, kebabs, stuff that kids will actually eat who don't like skiing. <laughs> <TV. Yeah. laughs> and then some, one of the most amazing things we did there was drive down to Delphi, which is not very far away, which, as you might know, is one of Greece's most incredible ancient UNESCO sites, home to the Oracle. And I think in the summer, it would be packed with crowds. But at that time of year, it was empty. We had it to ourselves. It's surrounded by olive trees it felt like summer we were wearing t-shirts having and, ice creams
0: and how did you get on uh you know taking your young children around uh you know historical monument mine uh i haven't always his- been as keen on that sort of thing
1: yeah <laughs> you've got to find the things that interest them so when we said oh people used to come here to ask their futures they were going up to the, the special stone that was part of the oracle asking it if they were going to be allowed ice cream that day. And it <laughs> turned out they were.
0: <laughs> Excellent. And sorry, how far is Parnassos from um, Athens, uh, where I guess you flew into? I think
1: it's a two-hour drive, but it's, you know, it's an enjoyable drive. You're going through typical Greek sort of rugged scenery with olive trees. There are places to stop. So whereas in the Alps, you might stop at your cosy little wooden cafe or some tacky shops. Here we went to a honey centre where we got to do a honey tasting. Not your normal wine tasting or cheese tasting. And also to add then at the end of it, which I would recommend doing, we stopped in Athens for a couple of days at the end of the trip. So we did right. a good holiday idea if you want a really mixed bag, a bit of skiing, a bit of sightseeing, and then add on two or three days in Athens, which at that time of year is really quiet. You can go to the parking lot, There's no one there.
0: It sounds fantastic. And I really do like, uh, as I say, that thinking uh, outside the box. Al, I- I- I'll... Uh... I know you've skied in lots of places. Have you ever skied uh, over in Greece?
2: No, I haven't, which is a real shame. You know what? There's just some amazing locations around the world. I love hearing about these different little ski hills. So, yeah, how cool would that be having a trip over there to go skiing?
0: Yeah, I, you know, sometimes uh, while uh, the Three Valleys is obviously the world's largest ski area, sometimes size isn't everything, isn't it? And you can have a great holiday in a smaller area. Y- your kids are a bit older now. Do you think you would uh, take them back there or would you feel that you've, you know, you've, you've done Greece now and you're looking for other destinations to take them to?
1: Yeah, maybe. I think I'd be interested to see what some of the other resorts there are like. And like I say, I'd love to do a bit more of the off piece to have a look into the backcountry. But I do always like looking for these new adventures. So a few similar things we've done before. I've been skiing in Turkey 10 years ago, so it may have changed. I'm, but...
0: I, absolutely. I'm sure it's changed since then. <gasps> Excellent. Well, that's brilliant, Gemma. Thanks for sharing uh, that with us. You know, it would have fitted in perfectly, actually, to our slot uh, at the National Snow Show at the NEC next month. Uh, listener, you might know that the ski podcast is going to be live on the Saturday, and we're going to be discussing off the beaten track. We won't be covering Greece, but we will look at uh, Morocco, Turkey, got regular guest Mike Richards on, uh, Albania, and Kazakhstan as well. So if you want to come along to the NEC, that's at midday on Saturday, the 15th of October. And then on Sunday, the 16th, I'm doing a presentation about driving electric vehicles to the Alps and around the uh, Alps uh, that trip to Zermatt mm-hmm. that I did about a month ago I went out on a Tesla and it was a you know, extremely good experience I'm looking forward to sharing that uh, so if you want to come along uh, and ask your questions and I'm always keen to meet our listeners face to face then look forward to seeing you there the National Snow Show is the third of three big events uh, over a month uh, for the ski industry in the UK Um, Last week, I was at an event called Ski Launch, which is an industry event in London. I was helping to organize the the forum there, and we had some really good panels. Uh, We had Valterens talking about social media. They've got 99,000 followers on uh, TikTok. A year ago, they had 2,000. And that was really interesting listening to them talking about you know, how they've uh, how they've developed that. We had a really good chat about sustainability. We had uh, Helen Coffey, who I mentioned earlier, Chemi Alcott, who uh, is cutting down on the amount of clothes she's buying. Well, in fact, not buying any new clothes at all for the coming year. Uh, and had Patrick Arnaud, who is the director of uh, Serre Chevalier. And they have very, very high uh, sustainability threshold. And it was really interesting to talk or to hear him talk about. What uh, they were doing. And we had a discussion about bringing people into the industry as well. I I did a little uh, presentation about future technology uh, in ski. And then earlier this week, Al mentioned uh, the Ski Set, the Snow Center, where I was at Listex and where I was hosting another panel on sustainability. But while I was there, I found the time to uh, catch up with James Gambrel from the Ski Club of Great Britain because they presented, uh, or he presented, some findings from their most recent uh, industry survey. Great. I'm here with uh, James Gambrill, uh, General Manager of the Ski Club of Great Britain. And we're in uh, currently sitting in uh, a kind of side room at the Snow Centre at Hemel Hempstead, uh, where Listex is taking place at the moment. And it's an industry event. And yesterday, you did a really interesting presentation uh, all about, I think the data was the state of the snow sports market. Yep. I wondered if you'd like to uh, give us what you thought were the key findings from that.
3: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we are, we are, we did a survey over the last um, couple of weeks in partnership with Snow and Rock and Mountain Trade Network. So obviously what we're looking at at the moment is intent. We're looking at, you know, what are skiers and snowboarders telling us they're going to do next season. So, you know, it's not the same as data. It's not telling us what's happened. It's telling us, you know, what might happen historically it it tracks pretty accurately but it also gives us a snapshot into the side of the mindset of skiers and snowboarders at the moment so um overall it was pretty positive so last year 86 percent of the uk market went skiing so this is when i say 86 percent of the uk market this is based on regular skiers so people who skied at least twice in the three years before the COVID, crisis. okay.
0: So, so when they're completed, they identify themselves as regular skiers exactly. first. Then you say to them, "Are you planning to go this yep. winter?"
3: Yep. So we filter the data on, on on that. So out of that sort of cohort of regular regular UK skiers last year, eighty six percent went skiing. This year, ninety four percent say they plan to go skiing. Now that number, as I say, might change a bit, but actually, it looks pretty positive. And In terms of the the reasons for those that that are saying they won't go skiing uh, this year, obviously this time last year, the overriding reason, of course, was COVID. Now COVID has dropped down to not a particularly significant factor for those who won't go. The most important factor, maybe unsurprisingly, is cost.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's quite interesting. So you're suggesting that uh, potentially we're looking at a growth, you know, yep. in terms of the number of people going skiing this winter could be you know, 10 to 15 yep. percent more than it was uh, last winter, which makes a lot of sense. And also your survey last winter or autumn was taken prior to the season. And I think a lot of people probably intended to ski and maybe decided not to because of the difficulty with vaccine passes yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned you know the uh i don't know if it's the elephant in the room you know the cost uh, side of things you know have a cost of living crisis at the moment. did you see anything from the data that suggests
3: people are are looking to you know compromise and try and save money on their ski holidays? Yeah, I mean there was some interesting insights I think always with these surveys it's about asking lots of questions maybe from different angles around the topic to try and understand people's uh, you know people's motivations and and so some of the interesting takings were. In terms of quality of accommodation so that was a factor that went up quite steeply during covid people there was a sort of the, this flight to luxury idea that people wanted a high quality accommodation that hasn't changed the most popular choice of accommodation for uk skiers is remains four-star hotels so you know we are looking at a market that wants to go and have a, a you know a fairly up market uh, accommodation experience however we did see some signs that there are ways that the British gears are looking to save money this year notably the number of people traveling to uh, planning to travel at February half term is quite significantly less now of course February half term for most people is the most expensive week of the season so it looks like there's a move from families. We don't know yet whether those percentage of people who aren't going to travel, maybe some of them are families, but it looks like families are looking at ways to save money by travelling at a different time of year. So I think that's a factor. There's also a slight reduction in the number of people who take more than one ski holiday. So interestingly, when we did some surveys pre-COVID, we found that 50% of the UK market actually take two or more ski holidays a year. It looks like there's going to be a slight reduction in that. So there might be more people going skiing, might be slightly less actual ski holidays booked, um, but there did seem to be a slight increase in the length of stays. So it may be that some people who used to do you know, two week long holidays this year might do a two week holiday, which obviously saves the money on flights and everything. So I, I think... UK skiers are looking for ways to save money but ideally not by compromising on the quality of the holiday but by looking at other ways that they can that they can make a sale. yeah
0: okay I mean that's really interesting uh, too uh, finally just on all of that data in the in the snow sports market I noticed we we've just had a panel about sustainability here it always really interesting and provokes a lot of discussions you did uh, see some some changes in responses Mm -hmm. in relation to sustainability and how important it is to people when they're making their decisions about
3: holidays yeah absolutely so again we try and ask different questions around this to try and understand how it's impacting exactly that those key decisions that skiers are making so one of the questions we asked was how significantly would a resort sustainability policy impact your choice of resort so you know when you're considering which resort to go to are you looking at their sustainability policy as part of that decision making process how important is that now almost 30% said it was very important to them. So there does seem to be a, a you know, significant chunk of the UK market for whom that sustainability policy is important. Only 5% said it wasn't important at all. Um, and I think the other significant about that, that answer is that it's significant increase from even just three years ago when that number was about 10%. So it does seem that it's something that's getting into
0: scale Yeah, well, I mean, that's something that came out in the panel this afternoon in, in all sorts of uh, different angles, whether it's people choosing not to take flights or choosing to uh, have pre-loved clothing rather than buying new clothing is a, is a trend yep. that is gathering momentum yep. and making a difference. So that's really interesting to hear. And you, you, I think you do the survey a couple of times a year. Mm-hmm. So um, at the next ListX, we'll get an update and see what happened this winter. But, you know, really interesting data that's excellent thanks very much james pleasure so Gemma, we heard james uh, saying there that fewer people are thinking about traveling at february half term relative to previous years uh possibly linked to the cost of living crisis i mean he, you know i know we've all maybe tried to take a family away at february half term it can be shockingly expensive do you, do you think um, maybe there'd be interest in you know, other areas that are less expensive like uh, you know greece or the pyrenees etc
1: yeah, I think it's a really good time to do something different. I mean, possibly if you can afford it, you might go on a bigger trip at Easter as well, but February is definitely the time to shop around and find a cheaper option. For example, last uh, winter, we took our kids away in February half term, but we, flew, we went to Austria and we flew to Memmingen in Germany, but the flights there were much cheaper.
0: Okay, yeah, another way of uh, another way of getting ar- around it. You know, I, I have very rarely taken uh, our family away at February half term just because it is more expensive. And regular listeners will know when well, we did that trip to the Pyrenees, that was good value. We actually went out to Cromontana in Switzerland in February uh, half term of this year, principally because. They weren't double vaccinated and it was the only place we could go where we could be comfortable they get in. It cost a lot, but it was a fantastic holiday. Um, Al, I, normally, I know you normally take your uh, kids away at Easter. Have you ever uh, been away as a family in half term?
2: No, we avoid it. And cost is one factor. And just how busy the resorts are. I've worked out in France. So when you were talking about Aurel before on the other side of the Morian Valley, I spent a whole season over there you know, was around all of that area at tim and it can just be crazily busy. So for the kind of skiing that we want to do, Easter is great value, fantastic conditions, so that works really well for us.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is interesting, you know, how busy I was sort of expecting it to be busy in Montana in half term, but it, it wasn't the case at all. Now, maybe that's the Valais in Switzerland and they have other holidays. I've also worked seasons, you know, out of the French Tarantese uh, and that can be pretty busy. It was more of an issue as uh, working as a tour operator, being the rep. And you know, getting turned from the resort on a Saturday when there's such a huge volume of cars going in and out the whole time, particularly if it was combined with really bad weather, when yeah. it, you know it could take you hours to get to the airport. But you know, those are all really good points. Now, Al, I wanted to. Um, it's, it's great to have you back on the show. You were last on episode ninety six. Now. I know you've been doing a huge amount of work on all the new kit coming up and being released. Uh, This is the time when it starts to get featured in the the different magazines. And I know you produce a a lot of videos on your site uh, where people can find out about them as well. And we're hoping we've been talking about doing a ski boot special. And I'm still very keen uh, to do that. We're just trying to work out when we're going to do it and how we're going to fit it in. But listen, we will have uh, uh, that. But I was looking at some US ski reviews. And I came across a term that I had never come across before, uh, frontside skis. Now, maybe it might be obvious, but what are frontside skis? Because I don't think they crop up in UK terminology, do they?
2: Yeah. And this is one of the, I suppose it's just one of the interesting kind of aspects of skiing in that there's so many different terms. and It depends where you are in the world as to what terms there are. And you know, even if you look at run grading, some resorts will have green, blue, red, black. Some will have green, blue, black. Some will, you know, somewhat like in North America, that black, diamond, black, double diamond. So it can vary where you are in the world. So if we just look at Europe, we use the term on piece a lot now. Many will know that, you know, that's a French term and that's on the groomed terrain. And then off-piste, there's anything that's off those groomed safe runs. There is a kind of combination run called an itinerary or a ski route whereby it is patrolled and made safe, but it's not pisted. Now, when you go to North America, it is very different. So they will have their ski resort and in that area of the resort that the resort is responsible for making safe, they can call that inbounds. And that doesn't just mean the Groomed Runs. It can be everything in between as well. So the easiest way to think of, when we're looking at frontside, you imagine a ski town looking up at a mountain mm. and all that you can see in front of you is frontside. That's, that's an easy way to, it's more complicated than that. But that's an easy way to get your head around it. And then anything, so all of that frontside there within the boundary of the resort would be made safe. You can go skiing on the Groomed Runs or off them. And then, Anything beyond that, so if you think of the back side of the mountain or back country, that's what we might normally think of as off-piste skiing.
0: Perhaps we are so uh, European, despite not being in the EU anymore, that... Peace skis everybody understands straight away exactly yeah. what that means whether we're talking about skiing in Italy or uh, Austria or uh, in, uh, in France yeah um, I imagine they probably have apres ski in America but now I'm wondering if they call that <laughs> something different <laughs> as well I mean you have this thing with translations and, and I'm writing stuff and snow groomers and peace bashers to me in the UK everybody understands what a peace basher is but not everybody understands what a snow groomer is you know, those those two things. I think Churchill once said that the, the US and the UK were uh, uh, two countries separated by a common language. And, you know, sometimes those, uh, those differences, you, you have to work hard to get through them. Okay, cool. I've got another question for you then. And Mike Greenland, he contacted us via Twitter. And he said, who remembers the Parablock from the 70s? Now, I had these on a certain pair of skis. They were, they were attached to the front of your skis to stop them crossing. They were a little triangle that you know cropped up because you know at the time the style in that time was a ski with your uh, skis really tight together uh like this it was a nightmare if you did cross them because you'd fall over uh, i wondered uh what you thought uh about that Do you remember yeah, the Do you know it
2: i i had to look this up when you mentioned it to me about a week ago because i had not come across them and then you know like like often happens when you disappear down a rabbit hole you come across all these other things so those are the brands that had it and it looks as though to be honest it was a bit of a nightmare because as you say once you do cross them if it does happen you are snookered um so i mean there are modern versions so things like edgy wedgie with it so basically it's a little clamp on the front of each ski uh, connected by think of it like a, a stiff rubber hose and this is great for kids when they're doing their pizza plows you know to stop the tips of their skis crossing. To be honest, modern skis are quite different to the old, what we refer to as pencil skis, straight side, straight-sided side, straight skis. None of these are a true replacement for actually quality instruction. People often think that going and getting a ski lesson can be expensive, but you know, skiing itself isn't the cheapest thing in the world. There are ways, as we've spoken about, go to better value resorts. You can get flights to different destinations that can bring the cost down but you wanna enjoy your time on the hill and quality instruction, especially at the start of your skiing journey can make a massive difference. So yeah, that's kind of my um, thought on that. Yeah, those power blocks look a bit
0: scary. Yeah, well, I'll put a photo in the show notes and also a link to the Edgy Wedgie, which yeah, I had to look up because I'd never heard of that before. Jem, are you familiar with this idea, the Parablock?
1: I think, you ever I'm pretty sure skateboard? I had that when I was learning to ski as a kid on the Kids Grove Dry Ski Slope in the 80s. There, so you, go. there you go. There the you go. So, I would recommend for kids now is the reins. We've had great success with them. With the kids' dad skiing behind, with the kids held up on the reins, it re- yeah. that has helped. I think maybe it's yeah. cheating, but
0: certainly some certainly some uh, you know inventions or innovations are, are worthwhile. But I'm with you, Al, on instruction. I can never uh, understand it really when people say to me, "Oh, you know, I." went out uh, skiing and that uh, you know i did one day's lessons and then i just did it myself and you know it's got to be such a struggle after that i know people are sort of like proud or they think they can do it or they want to save the money uh, we think about intermediates who get stuck on the plateau you don't want to be a beginner and get stuck on the plateau because yeah. you're just going to find it so much harder maybe you might say well that's what people who work in the ski industry would say <laughs> But i say it as someone who's, who's skied for a long time you know take uh take lessons that's brilliant, Al. Thanks very much for that. Now, uh, we're just going to come to the close now. Uh, I do enjoy all feedback about the show, like uh, Mike's uh, comment, etc. And uh, Jules, who uh, had her question about the uh, episode numbering. So please do contact us via social or by email to podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and you can also review us. Uh, they're always welcome on Spotify and uh, Apple. Now, I've had so much feedback recently, maybe with all those extra episodes. I'm going to have to hold some of these comments back for uh, episode 102, but I'm just going to read a couple out. Uh, Rachel Frisby uh, via Facebook said, I love the episode about La Plan. I love that resort so much. Joe McHugh said, you know, great podcast, referring to uh, 99 again about La Plan. He said about the Vanoise Express link to Les Arcs, if you stay in Montchevant, you can ski a full day in either La Plan or Les arcs The village is one lift away uh, in the morning and there are no extra lifts to be taken in the evening. You just ski back to the village. A traditional village, a quiet, with limited nightlife, but the location makes it a great place to explore the whole Paradiski uh, area. So thanks very much for that uh, tip, Joe. Appreciate that. Uh, Richard Sideways on the uh, forum Snowheads uh, enjoyed the special with Warren Smith and uh, Bob NCH also on Snowheads said, "Uh, great pod, I didn't know he filmed with Guido Perini and if you listen to that interview I did with Warren. Yeah, we went right back and I'm pretty sure you remember those days, uh, Al, when uh, Warren was producing the kind of ski odyssey, snow odyssey uh, videos and having the premieres at the Prince Charles Theatre in Leicester Square. Do do. you remember those? Yeah,
2: and I do remember the movies with Guido as well. You know, It it was happy times.
0: Yeah, well, they were they were great. Listen to the podcast. There's a really brilliant anecdote in there uh, from Warren about how we managed to still put on a premiere, despite the uh, projector being ruined five minutes before uh, the movie was about to start. Uh, Finally, I'd like to thank Liam Major, who I think must be working through the podcast chronologically. because He sent me an email saying, hi, Jim. Uh, I just wanted to say I've been listening through to the podcast series and I'm hooked. You and Ian do a great job. I've only recently developed an interest in skiing. I've started listening through all of your podcasts in anticipation for my first trip away. Uh, the magnitude of knowledge I've learned from these podcasts is exceptional. So I can't thank you enough. Well, uh, I've been I've had swapped quite a few emails with uh, Liam now. I thank you so much for that. And uh, Jim's last episode was actually number 56. So that must mean you have at least 99 more episodes Uh, to catch up with i had a quick uh, look and uh, that should take you at least up until your ski holiday itself even if you're going in early december Uh, you should have caught up by number 102 uh, which is scheduled for the 10th of october and listener, you don't need to listen to every episode we have. But don't forget, we do have 155 you can catch up on. And normally every week, uh, 75 to 100 of those uh, get listened to. So we're going to come to the close now. Uh, you can follow me at Skipedia on social media and the podcast at The Ski Podcast. Uh, but for now, I would like to thank Le trois Vallée for sponsoring The Ski Podcast and thank my guest today, Gemma. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: And Al, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ian. It's always fun. And finally, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll
1: save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.